Merry Christmas. You know, as much as I complain to my wife about the traffic and the crowds, this is definitely my favorite time of the year. I love it. And one of the things that, I, that, that blesses me is to hear the songs praising our God. It's, it, it's such a wonderful and beautiful time. Today we're going to look at a passage of scripture that presents a special song of praise. So please stand with me as we read Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. And this is what the word of the Lord says. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Please be seated. And let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and we give you thanks for this wonderful blessing that you have given to us, Lord. We thank you for giving us Jesus, for sending him to us, Lord God, and for giving us the best gift that anyone could give, Lord. We honor you today, we praise you, and we give you thanks. In Christ's name, amen. So this song's known um, by many as Mary's Magnificat. And Magnificat comes from the Latin word meaning to magnify, which is what Mary is doing in this passage. She's magnifying the Lord. And you'll notice that it's structured like a psalm and that it picks up some of the themes from the Old Testament. Her song starts by focusing on herself, but then it ends focusing on Israel. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. There are similarities between Mary's song and other songs throughout the Bible, specifically Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Hannah was the mother of Samuel. The Lord had closed up her womb, and that saddened her deeply. There are quite a few similarities between Hannah's song and Mary's song. For one, they're both devout Jewish women. Hannah's son Samuel was the answer to a prayer while Mary's son was the fulfillment of a promise. Hannah's son would go on to anoint King David, while Mary's son is the promised son of David. And this isn't a coincidence, though. I believe that it's structured this way to show us that what's happening in Luke is a continuation of what we see in the Old Testament. Let's take a look at Mary's reason for praise. 
in chapters, I'm sorry, in verses 46 through 49. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. First, I think it's important to understand what happened before, before this part of the, uh, of the chapter. So, we see Mary being visited by the angel Gabriel. And he tells her that she will, that she will uh, give birth to the Son of God, to the Messiah. And she's terrified. I mean, think about it. Wouldn't you be? That's a pretty, that's a, a, a pretty big thing. She then runs off to her older cousin's house to tell her. And she's met there with surprise. Elizabeth is also with child. Elizabeth confirms what Gabriel told Mary. And this leads Mary to erupt in this song of praise. She praises God for what he's done for her. And it's a response for what the angel Gabriel told her and was confirmed by Elizabeth. She was going to give birth to the Messiah. The word magnifies in verse 46 can also be read here as glorifies or praises. And it seems that she's echoing the words of Psalm 34, 3, which says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. In this psalm, David is exhorting the hearers to see the Lord's marvelous acts in their lives and throughout history. Mary's proclaiming the greatness of God just like David did. And like him, she does it with great joy and great enthusiasm. In verse 7, she refers to God as her Savior. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And here she picks up the words of 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1, which reads, I rejoice in your salvation. He's the one who brings deliverance to the lowly. And we'll see this play out in the verses that follow. The theme of God as, as Savior is throughout the entire Old Testament, especially in Isaiah. And this is interesting since Isaiah prophesied the coming of the Messiah hundreds of years before this. Mary was deeply aware of her position, but God looked down from heaven and noticed Mary and blessed her to be the mother of Jesus. And all generations would praise her because of the incredible way that God blessed her. She's an example of God's grace for all generations. She then uses here, from now on, which is a sign that a new era has begun with the coming of Jesus. Now she gives reasons for her praise in verse 48. We see her reflecting on God's goodness. In Psalm 71, 19, we read, Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? Mary was essentially a nobody, much like the other Israelites of her day. She was a nobody from a nobody town in a nobody country. 
See, at this point in history, the glory days of the kingdom of Israel were over. They were under the heavy boot of the Roman Empire. Israel was an occupied country forced to pay heavy taxes to Caesar. But the Lord lifted Mary from her humble position to be the mother of the Messiah, a 15-year-old girl betrothed to a carpenter. Interestingly, sandwiched between his might in verse 49 and his mercy in verse 50 is his holiness. Holy is his name. But why does she say that here? Well, we have to remember that she was Jewish and she was instructed in the Old Testament scriptures since childhood. To proclaim he's holy is to proclaim him to be infinitely higher than any creature and any characteristics ascribed to him ascribed to creatures, namely sin. Clearly, she's so deeply moved by what God's done for her that she cries out, holy is your name. Because only a God that transcends the physical world can do what he's done. He bypassed the physical means of conceiving a child. And not just any child, but the promised Messiah. Psalm 111.9 says, He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. In Luke, we see Mary giving thanks to God for providing a redeemer. When she thinks about God's power in her pregnancy and the honor he bestowed on her through his mercy, it's clear to see why she'd proclaim him to be holy. His redemption of his people is an act of mercy, but it's only given to those who fear him. Verses 50 through 53 show us how God deals with the humble and the proud. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. God's mercy refers to his steadfast love, and he expresses this in his faithful actions that we'll see in the next few verses. In Psalm 103, 17, we read, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. These verses show humility praised as a virtue, which is a recurring theme that we see throughout the gospels. Jesus himself exemplifies this. His humble birth, the washing of the disciples' feet, how he remained humble when he was before the Sanhedrin. Mary qualifies her statement, though. His mercy is for those who fear God, those whose hearts and minds are filled with reverence toward him. To fear God is to revere him for who he is. He's the creator, the almighty, our salvation. And Mary focuses on those who in loving adoration and humility 
experience God's steadfast love. In verse 51, there's a shift from what's God, what God's done for Mary to what he's done for Israel. And even though she mentions what he's done in the past, in this context, I believe she's also referring to what he's currently doing and what he'll do in the future. She mentions God's arm, which is a reference to his power. It can lift up, it can hold up, but it can also scatter. In this verse, he do, he's doing both of those things. She mentions his reference to power. His arm is his powerful arm, and we see that throughout the scriptures. Hannah also mentions this in her song, but in order to highlight God's goodness, Mary contrasts his blessings for his people with his punishment for the wicked. On one hand, we have the humble and the hungry, and on the other hand, we have the proud and the arrogant, those who are rich. In verse 52, mighty refers to rulers. Here, she compares rulers, those in positions of power, with God's children who are lowly and poor. Now, this isn't to say that being wealthy is a sin. That's not what I'm saying, and that's not what the scriptures say. The sin is in putting your trust in your wealth and in yourself instead of God, which is what she's referring to here, when we see, and we see that throughout the Gospels. Jesus rebukes the proud, the powerful, and the rich, and in particular, how they treat those beneath them. Mary mentions that God has scattered them. He's broken them up and spread them all over. The scriptures tell us that the heart is the point where our feelings and our faith pivot. It's where our drives, our thoughts, and our emotions pour out of. It's the very core of who we are. Mary's saying that through history, God dealt severely with those whose very core is filled with arrogance. He's dethroned them. He's taken their riches, their fame, and sent them off. In verse 53, we see that God takes care of those in need. She mentions the word hungry. Now, she could be referring to physical hunger. Throughout the scripture, we see God taking care of the physical needs of his people. In the gospel, we find the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And in the Old Testament, God lets the Levites eat of the sacrifices. But she could also be referring to spiritual hunger. Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 2 say, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. The New Testament expresses this thought well, specifically in the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. 
In the final portion of this passage, Mary remembers God's covenant with Israel. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. See, up to this point, Mary's been singing praises for God's works. In verses 54 and 55, she focuses on Israel and the covenant promises that God made with them. In the Old Testament, we read of God's mighty acts for his people Israel. He's fought battles against their enemies. He's rescued them from slavery. And he's guided them to the promised land. And I think Isaiah 63, 9 puts it beautifully. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Now, if kids, we've all fallen down and scraped our knee at some point, and our dads would pick us up and comfort us, that's the picture that I see in this verse. As I mentioned before, Israel in Mary's time was ruled by the heavy hand of the Roman Empire. The Pharisees of her day were imposing suffocating rules on the people. There are sick people and people infested with demons. But it's in that setting that Jesus is born into. Because he remembers the promises he made to Israel, his servant, the Messiah steps forward to bring light to the darkness and give Israel its help. Psalm 105.8 says, He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. Even though Israel is in shambles at this point, he still remembers his people and has mercy on them as he promised from old. In verse 55, we see the word again, offspring, seed. Now, if you've been listening to the sermons here over the last several weeks, that word should stand out to you. We've even, we even heard it a little while ago in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This ties everything from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament right into the Gospels. The promise made to Abraham that he'd be the father of many nations is fulfilled in the Davidic covenant through the offspring of David. Mary brings that to remembrance here. and God has shown mercy to his people by finally sending the promised offspring. Praise God. God's great works for his people produce great joy and thanksgiving in our hearts. Even when it seems that evil will prevail, Mary reminds us that God is faithful to his word. And as we see throughout the scriptures, those promises are ultimately fulfilled in Christ Jesus. In the end, the wicked will be defeated, and those that fear God will prevail when Christ returns. Goodness will win, evil will be judged. And the Lord will reign for eternity. Amen? Maybe you're sitting here today and you can relate to Mary. You feel like a nobody. You feel like you're invisible to the world. 
I have good news for you today. Just like God saw Mary in her lowly state, he sees you too. He has his arm extended and he wants to lift you up. But you have to be willing to set aside the pride in your heart. We've seen how God deals with the proud. Put your faith in Christ today so you too can join Mary in her song of praise. Let's pray. Father God, we adore you. We worship you. We give you thanks, Lord God. We could spend eternity thanking you for sending Jesus, and it still wouldn't be enough. Thank you for humbling yourself, for coming down to this world to walk among us, Lord. We praise you and we honor you, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, that this joy that we have would be reflected in us, would be, would, others would see that joy and would come to serve you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.